Luke chapter 13, we'll start at verse 6, and we'll just read to verse 10. This is the well-known parable of that fig tree that was not bearing fruit. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Let's start. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. No fruit. No fruit on this tree. The Lord Jesus is looking for fruit. Verse 7, Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, the reason why this came with such an impact to me is because of what I was reading actually in the Chronicles. As some of you know, I'm making a slow walk through the Chronicles, and I came across the king, Jehoram. Jehoram was the evil king, son of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram Back in Second Chronicles chapter 21, you don't have to be turning around like this. I'll, I'll do all the turning. But in Second Chronicles 21, it's very interesting because a letter came to Jehoram. Remember, Jehoram is the bad king. So a letter came to Jehoram, a letter that was written by none other than Elijah. A letter written by Elijah. I find that amazing. I'm not even sure if Elijah was alive still at this time. It may have been that he wrote the letter before he left this scene of time. But anyway, it came from the hand of Elijah and basically it was a warning to Jehoram. This letter was basically saying, you're not walking in the ways of your father Jehoshaphat, but um, you're walking in the ways of, of the kings of Israel and there's this great plague that's going to come upon you and smite your, your, you and your people, your wives, your children, all your goods, this great sickness, etc., right? So this letter comes to Jehoram. And what do we read? How Jehoram responded? He didn't. He didn't. I mean, you don't read anything. It just continues to go on about the judgment coming and, and so on. But it reminded me of a similar thing that happened a few chapters back in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. It reminded me of the king Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. So Rehoboam was also not the greatest of kings. And he was the son of Solomon, a good king as Jehoram was the son of Jehoshaphat, a good king. But the Lord sent a prophet to Rehoboam, 
and he was sending this prophet to warn him. And it sounds very similar. So in Second Chronicles 12, it goes on to say that then this prophet Shemaiah came and um, said, Thus saith the Lord, ye have forsaken me, and therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shishak. Shishak, the king of Egypt, was going to come and destroy the land, plunder all of the riches of Judah, you know, all of the wealth that Solomon had accumulated, the golden shields that were created. He, uh, he took them all away. But anyway, the point is, God sent a prophet. I was thinking about this. There's two very different responses. In the case of Rehoboam, do you know how he responded? It goes on to say the very next verse in Second Chronicles 12, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves. So the king and all of the princes of Israel, they humbled themselves and they said, the Lord is righteous. Isn't that great? That was their response. The Lord is righteous. And when the Lord saw that, he said to the prophet, the Lord said to Shemaiah, they have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them. I will grant them some deliverance. Now, there was judgment still executed, and Shishak did come, and he took away all the treasures, all those glorious treasures, ransacked, but he did not destroy Rehoboam or his house. goes on to say, And when Rehoboam humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him that he would not destroy him altogether. And in Judah, things went well. Yes, he still experienced the chastening hand of the Lord, of course, but he was not destroyed. And it was because of his response in humbling himself. Now, I find that just really instructive. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking about our prayer time and how we started. I was thinking about 1857. 1857. Uh, this is uh, Jeremiah Lamphere, the noonday prayer meeting back in New York City. For those of you who have who do, do not know, uh, September 23rd, 1857, that was the first prayer meeting of the New York City noonday prayer times. And in, on September 25th, the dates are a little fuzzy, but shortly thereafter, that first prayer meeting, you know what happened? It was the great financial crash. It was the financial panic of 1857. It happened after. Again, it's histor if you read different things, some put it before, some put it after. I think that it, things were leading up to it, but clearly the prayer meeting was not motivated by the panic. The prayer meeting started out of a burden of a man to reach people. The prayer meeting happened first. The crash happened after how did the people respond the prayer meeting started to get flooded yes perhaps the lord did use that crash to cause 
God's people to turn their hearts toward him. But shortly after the prayer meeting first started, you, you read the accounts. Shortly after, you got the crash, and then you have the prayer meeting. Hundreds of prayer meetings started all throughout New York City, packed. And a, an objective witness who was part of the newspaper industry went around and he said there were at least 10,000 souls crying out to God noonday all throughout New York City. That was, that was as many as he could count before he ran out of time. That's incredible. And that happened for quite some time. The point is this. The prayer meeting started. The crash happened. And the people responded. Isn't that wonderful? And I was thinking about this prayer meeting. I don't know if you know the timeline of this prayer meeting, but this prayer meeting was... um, we, we launched it. I don't like the word launch, but we, uh, we proposed it December of 2019. This was in New York City at our Foundations Conference. We proposed it December of 2019. In January, practically, certainly by February of 2020, just one or two months after, that's when COVID hit when the world basically shut down, including most churches, and it disrupted everything. Remember that? Um, I find it amazing, almost sad, that the response was not the same. You think about the response of the people, 1857, they gathered to pray, didn't they? they? They gathered in to pray, and they responded that way. And God sent a very gracious worldwide awakening, the third great awakening, where countless souls were swept into the kingdom, and uh, missionary endeavors were launched around that time. These men that we, we look up to throughout church history many of which were affected during that time. Come to this era, we have a proposal for something very similar following the pattern of the New York prayer meeting. So it's not as if this is anything too out of the ordinary. You had the world come under God's judgment with this, with this covid and you don't really see much of a response. It's a little bit like Jehoram's response. There was no response. You have Jehoram's response or non-response, and you have Rehoboam's response. And it just makes me wonder, friends. It made me think about this parable. Where is the fruit of of real repentance. I'm going to say in the church, in our hearts, for sure. Personally, we can take it personally. Where is the fruit? The Lord is looking for fruit everywhere. Personally, in our own hearts, we don't want to blame shift. He's looking for fruit there, but he's also looking for fruit in the church, right? It's not, it's not escape that. 
He's looking for fruit in his church. The fruit, a repenting fruit. And of course he's looking for fruit in the nation. The fruit, where is the fruit? So if we go back to Luke chapter 13, he says there's no fruit. He's like looking for fruit. Where is the fruit? And he even says, behold, these three years I come seeking fruit. By the way, we've been at this for three years, haven't we? 2020? We're in 2023. So where's the fruit? We've been at this for three years. Where is the fruit? You've got to ask yourself the question. I mean, we have been trying to push out a call. They don't have to be a part of this prayer meeting. Now, there has been, I don't want to be totally um, uh, discounting of the fact that, yes, there have been prayer meetings that have started. We've just heard about that recently. But on the whole, with all that's going on, Never mind COVID. I mean, with everything that has happened since that time, and that is still happening, are we seeing the church coming together to cry out to God like they did in 1857? Three years I come seeking fruit and find none. Why come birth at the ground? Why are we just taking up space? And By the way, this is the part that maybe applies to us the best. He answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig about it and dung it. This is is us praying, I think. This is our interceding and saying, Lord, please give us more time. Give us just, just one more year. Give us more time. Let us pray some more. Um, he he goes on to say he's going to dig and he's going to dung. Dig and dung. Digging, in my mind, I, I see that as, as the work of prayer because a hard ground needs to be broken up. And that's the work of God's people praying that God the Holy Spirit will break up that which is hard so we can cast the seed all day long on concrete and it won't do any good unless it's first broken up it's got to be digged up so that's what we're doing here is we're praying we're praying lord please break down these hard hearts we see it in our children you've talked to them i'm sure plenty you it's not as if they don't have the information like they know the problem isn't information. The problem in the churches is not information. It's the it's the the heart is hard. They don't care. They know, but they don't care enough. Well, what's the remedy to that? It needs to be broken up. And then dung. Dung it is is basically just you just pour into that, apply into this ground that which promotes life. I just see that as the word of God. If you want to make it simple. Praying and preaching. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I see that as, as, as it's illustrated here in this parable. To dig and to dung. You need to do both. 
You need to pray and you need to also apply that which will promote life. And what, what better thing than the Word of God itself? Preaching. So here's the deal. When these letters come from Elijah or from the prophet, when these men of God, like we have, filling the pulpits, are still preaching out there, you know what that tells me? The Lord could have destroyed uh, Rehoboam and Jehoram right away. He didn't need to send anybody. Why did he have to send uh, Jonah to Nineveh? Why did he go through the trouble, and it was trouble, to send Jonah, who was going the opposite direction and doing all, and go through all that trouble to bring him all the way back to give him this simple message, in three days Nineveh will be destroyed. If he wanted to destroy it, he could have just went ahead and done it. He didn't have to have Jonah come and say, in three days it's going to be destroyed, right? What God was doing is he was giving mercy for him to be still giving messages, sending his prophets, sending preachers at all, to me, is mercy. There's a window of mercy. It's like this servant is saying, give me time. One more year, Lord, just give me time. And by the way, in Nineveh's case, they repented and the Lord delivered. If the Lord wanted to destroy us today, he could do it today. But the fact that preaching is still going out, I'm seeing on this wall, people are still listening, preaching is still going out. The fact that that's happening to me is mercy from the Lord. How will we respond? How will the world respond? How will the churches, God's people, how will you respond? How will I respond? It's mercy. Whenever you, whenever you know that preaching is still going out, you know that we're in a period of mercy. God is sending his prophets, his preachers out there. He doesn't, he could destroy them like now, right today. We don't have to be here right now. We could have been totally gone already. It's mercy. That, that letter I got from uh, Ryan's grandmother, it reminded me, Ryan had mercy given to him for these few years. He had people come into his life, myself, but I'm sure other people. And and the same is true now for, for the people in your circles. There it's a it's a it's a, a window of mercy. But the time will expire one day. <coughs> And that's the reality of it. We're in a period of mercy. If we, if we knew, if we were that tree and we knew that we were that close to being cut down, but there was someone intervening on our behalf, like we're praying for somebody perhaps, saying, Lord, just, just wait one more year. Well, that's all I'm going to bring today, and let's seek the Lord together. Digging and dunging is praying and preaching.